Uh, we're going to be going through the, the gates of uh, Jerusalem, rebuilding the gates. And uh, of course, this is uh, what we're doing here is we're thinking about the time of Nehemiah when Jerusalem had been destroyed. And it's been destroyed because of uh, God's judgment uh, on the people of Israel. And that was because of their idol worship. They had turned their hearts away from the Lord. Uh, they were in the land that God called them to be in, but they were supposed to be a light to the world. They were supposed to be someone, a uh, group of people that God could work through and reach the Gentiles. But that didn't work because they, they didn't keep their borders clean. They didn't uh, take the idols out of the land. And because of that, it ended up with Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple being destroyed, and the people being taken into foreign lands into captivity because of the chastisement of God. And so, like I said this morning, um, the, the prophecy by Jeremiah was that 70 days would, would, take, would transpire before they were actually let to go back to Israel to rebuild. Or 70 years. Did I say days? 70 years. <laughs> 70 days wouldn't be so bad. But 70 years. And those 70 years coincided with the Sabbaths that they neglected as they were actually worshiping idols. And the Lord gave them the Sabbath. They wanted the, the land to rest every seven years. They, they didn't obey that uh, because they're too busy worshiping false gods. And God just says, well, I'm going to get those Sabbaths back from you. And that's why he let the, ran, the land rest for 70 years. He got every year back. Amen. And it, it, the mathematics is perfect. God uh, did it exactly. And uh, after that 70 years, uh, he knew already by the prophecy of Isaiah which was a, de a century earlier, where he actually even mentioned by name the name of the King Cyrus that would make the proclamation that would actually bring Israel back to their, their land. And so that's an amazing prophecy. We're talking hundreds of years, uh, you know, ahead of time, and it was very accurate. He was even talking about this man specifically. And Cyrus actually read that. Can you imagine reading the Bible and finding your name there? And God's saying, this is what you're going to do? <laughs> I'd have a problem not doing it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, it was in his heart to do it. And he, he actually let the people go back. And so he, the, the first order of business was rebuilding. And the first thing they rebuilt was the temple. And there was a lot of time they spent doing that. They stopped. There was a lot of opposition. Um, and so they, they did get that temple done, not nearly like the glory of the first one. Uh, but it was a temple. And then, of course, in the time of Nehemiah, if you go to uh, chapter 1, maybe I'll just read that uh, right at the chapter 1 there. He, Nehemiah got news, and Nehemiah was, of course, one of the captives, but he had actually got a position in the palace as the cupbearer for the king. And so he did not go back with the first group. He actually stayed behind, but he was very concerned about his people. And it said here, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And notice how it affected Nehemiah in this next verse. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words 
that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so this bothered him, and God had put it on his heart to be used to go back and to rebuild these walls. And he knew what a city in those days, what happened in cities that did not have walls. And the people were in affliction. They were, the enemy could come in and, and just take advantage of the people, and, and the gates were burned down. And so this is a heavy burden on his heart. And uh, this you can really associate with Jerusalem. Of course, the name Jerusalem means the city of peace. And the, Jerusalem is really a picture of the Christian life. Uh, but it's not just a Christian, it's us in Christ. And the Lord wants to rebuild us in Him. He wants to put up the walls in our life. He wants us to rebuild the gates in our life as well. Uh, these days, what takes place is we've got um, walls that we put up. And the preacher preaches on these kind of things. We say, hey, let's build these walls around us because there's enemies all around us. And and we know how it is sometimes when you have uh, walls that you build for your family. Uh, children, they don't understand it. They don't say, well, why don't you let me do this? Why don't you let me go there? Why don't you let me do this? And, and they think you're keeping them from something on the other side of the wall, not realizing that on the other side of the wall are the wolves and the enemy and those that want to hurt and, and take everything good out of your child's life. And so you, you put walls in your family's life not to control them, not to, uh, you know, just uh, be religious or whatever else, uh, the standards. The standards are there because there's an enemy, and that enemy wants to destroy, and that's the burden that Nehemiah was feeling here when, when he noticed, when he was told how his brethren were in affliction and they were under great reproach because of what's happened and because of their failure, and then, of course, because of the destruction, the walls that were destroyed uh, during the siege there with Nebuchadnezzar. And so Jerusalem means city of peace. And it's a picture of our life in Christ. It is our new creation. And God wants us to be a new creation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.10, For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, God is the one that builds our lives. He's the one that builds our temple. The temple, you can associate that to our heart and to how that Jesus Christ lives within us. And so the first thing a person needs is to have the temple rebuilt. Amen? Our, our, our connection with God. That was the first step in Jerusalem. But after the temple is built, that's when you need to build the walls around that temple to keep out things that will come in and destroy the temple like it did before. And that's one thing they didn't, they didn't account for, that their idol worship and those type of things were actually destroying the very temple that they built to worship God. Amen? And so it's very important we understand that. There are 10 gates mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, there's two other gates that are mentioned elsewhere. Um, they, no matter what kind of walls you have, you've got to have gates in the walls. We're not isolationists. Uh, we're not just saying, let's, let's go to a jungle in South America and let's create a little cult there and let nobody knows where we are, and, you know what I mean, and drinking the Kool-Aid type of thing. Let's not do that. Uh, that's not God's plan. There are some groups out there, they create colonies, and those colonies are designed to isolate people and to keep them away from everything, and they have very few gates in those walls. But you notice in this city, there's 10 gates, and each 10 of these gates tell us that even though we're supposed to protect ourselves with walls, there is interaction 
and there is commerce with the world. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that, that we're supposed to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. I mean, we can't be taken out of it. And even Jesus prayed that. He says, I pray that thou takest them not out of the world, but that thou keepest them from the evil. Amen. So he doesn't want us to be removed from the world, even though we're supposed to be careful of the evil of this world. We're actually in the middle of the world. And you know, all you got to do is go to the store and you face evil every day. You face bad influences every day. And that's why we put up walls. That's why we protect our kids. That's why we're, we're even looked at sometimes a little fanatical in the way we protect our families. But that is God's will for us to do that. We need to protect our homes and put walls around our families, walls around our lives. Amen? Um, so each of these gates, they'll reference an area in the believer's life that needs to be instilled and nourished and built, built back up. And so... I don't know where you are in your Christian life, whether your gates are all strong and they're rebuilt and you're ready to go, but the, at least what this will do, if your gates are in good shape, it'll help you just keep focus on the fact that there are different portals in this world that you have to keep your eye on. And if you make sure that are always standing strong and there's doors that have to close sometimes, and sometimes you have to open them, <laughs> amen. Sometimes you have to let things in. Sometimes you have to push things out, you know, but we need the doors. And so uh, during this rebuilding process of this, these walls, there were at least 35 building crews working on the walls. There were four sides with three gates on each wall. Uh, and 10 of those gates, like I said, are in this chapter. The walls, uh, the gate has two main functions. The first one is to let people in. So we must have gates in our walls we can't isolate ourselves, like I said before, and so uh, and also to keep people out. Uh, you know, one of those examples is Nehemiah. What took place is they were starting to disobey the Sabbath laws again, and so what happened is on Sabbath people would be doing business and commerce with the with the children of Israel in Jerusalem, and of course that's forbidden. They weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day, and of course this is still in a time of where they, were, um, where they were under the law, basically. They were, they were still following the Sabbath. They were still following those kind of things. It's a Jewish background, amen? And so what happened is Nehemiah made a law that on the Sabbath day we keep the gate closed. So he'd close the gate. So those that would want to come in and do commerce, maybe they weren't religious, maybe they, whatever, they were kept on the outside. They had to wait all Saturday and wait till the next day to come in and do their, do their work. That's the control that the gate gives you. Amen? And us in our, in our lives, we need to understand that the, the access to your life has to be controlled by you and the scriptures. You have to make decisions based upon principle what you allow or don't allow in your life. And you can't allow the pressure of the world to dictate how you operate in your Christian life. And I've said that before. In relation to Pharaoh and how Moses, you know, Pharaoh was wanting him to compromise. First he said, oh, you leave your cattle behind or you leave your children behind. And the next one was, oh, just don't go out too far as you worship God. Don't, don't go out of distance where we can't see you. And, and all these different compromises as this, these plagues were coming down. And Moses just basically said, hey, <laughs> there is no compromise with me. I'm not going to leave one hoof behind. Just a total 
total negative answer to compromise. I am not going to let you dictate what I do with my Christian life. And that's the way we ought to be as Christians. And I think sometimes we give this world far too much credence, far too much power in our life. Well, they pay our paycheck. No, they don't. God pays your paycheck. And that you have to realize, as much as you think the total power of your paycheck is in your employer, I'm going to tell you something. God is in control. He can take it. He can give it. And we have to do the things that we do in honor of him, not in honor of our employers and and, and the money and the world and so forth. They do not dictate. Amen. We have to make those decisions. And so when they, they try to get you to compromise your Christian convictions for the dollar, you have every right to stand there and say, no, I'm not going to open that gate for you. That gate stays closed. Amen. Well, I'm scared to lose my job, and that's how the devil works. He works from the outside in, putting pressure on you, always get, trying to get you to compromise. And it was amazing. One time when I was preaching, I, I woke up in the middle of the night on a Saturday night. It was about 3 in the morning, and I had a message planned to preach on Sunday morning, and the Lord just totally took that out of my mind. I said, wow, Lord, you want me to preach that? And what am I going to do? <laughs> and so I sat down at my desk, and I started looking around and reading, and all of a sudden this just thought came to my mind about this thing about Pharaoh. And I started putting this message together about Pharaoh and leaving, not leaving a hoof behind. And so I put that message together, and Sunday morning, you know, <laughs> the Lord gave me grace where I could wake up in the morning after a couple hours in the middle of the night studying for this message, and I preached that message on Sunday morning. After the, after the uh, message, I had a lady come up to me, and she said, this afternoon I was going to go to my boss and I was going to give in on a standard that they were trying to get me to relax in. And she says, you know what? The Lord told me now not to give in. She was about to totally compromise her convictions for that paycheck. That's the power the world has over you. And that's why, you know, I'm very careful with people. I, I try to let you operate within your own faith dynamic. Amen. Everybody has their faith. You're not going to make decisions based on my faith. You know, I've had my faith building for a while. I've gone through some things. I've, I've come to the end of some, some ropes in my life. I, I've, I've learned to live and trust in the Lord to provide for me when it didn't make sense. And so my faith has been built to a place where I know that God is going to take care of me in these situations. Even though the flesh is still there, it still gets stirred up, but I can always draw from the experience of what God has done in proving his word to me over and over. And not everybody has all those things laid out, and you've got, you've got to have your own journey there. <laughs> you've got to make your own decisions. But you're not going to get those journeys. You're not going to get those experiences of knowing how God answers unless you start making decisions where you just nail that stake in the ground. Say, I will not compromise. And so for me, I, I tell people, you know, don't do this and you'll come to church and, you know, I know that jobs are hanging in the balance. I know there's paychecks. But folks, I'm not saying this just off the cuff here. I'm saying this as someone that knows that God will meet you there. He will meet you there. 
And that's the only way to change the tide that's happened within Christian families today where we've compromised with the world and our children are going to just follow after us and they're just going into the world headlong. The only way to stop this is for mom and dad to start taking steps of faith and saying, you know what, kids, we're going to start solidifying our convictions here and start walking with God in this way and start seeing how God's going to take care of us. Amen. It's amazing what he does. I remember even way back, I, I was in construction, and so I'd always work out of town. I, I've been all over the place. I've been up north. I've been Thompson and further north than that. I've been in places you can only get to by ferries, and that's where I'd spend months working on projects and so forth. I mean, isolated from the whole world and going back into civilization, looking at streetlights and just saying, oh, I forgot what these things look like, <laughs> you know? And uh, then when the Lord saved me, and I began to take steps forward for God. I said, Lord, how is this going to work? I want to be faithful. I want to do what you've asked me to do. But I got this job that takes me away from everything. And there are no Baptist churches where I'm going. <laughs> You'd be lucky to find a Catholic church. <laughs> that was a difficulty. But it's amazing that after I made a decision to follow the Lord in, in Bible college and doing the things that God wants me to do, that my whole job situation changed where I was able to stay at home and never miss Bible college, never miss church. And my whole experience with, with, um, with church as a growing Christian, I remember one time I missed a Wednesday night service because of a personal battle I was going through and I just didn't have the strength to, to meet, see people. And I probably should have, but that was probably a lack of my faith, you know. One time I missed I'm talking even sick days. I never had sick days. I went to every church service. I went to every meeting. I went to every missions conference. I went to every Bible conference, every service, and nothing ever kept me because I made my decision, this is what I am. <laughs> and I remember even having my job at the, um, uh, in town there, there were some times that, you know, Wednesday night, it was drawn close. And we, it wasn't always like a nine to five. It wasn't always a clock in, clock out, especially when it comes to construction. And there was times I would say, Lord, we're getting close to the line. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. I can't just leave everything hanging, you know. There's people depending on me. And it's amazing how God every time would just swoop in and change the circumstance and make it that I could go to church. And even though I wouldn't maybe have time to go put on my suit, I'd go there in my work clothes, I'd go plop myself down, and I'd go have church. Amen. You've got to stand by your convictions. It's so important. And so the walls in your life are vital. You need to build the walls. You need to rebuild your city. You can't let the world just trample all over you. You can't live your life in reproach of the lack of faith that caused that destruction in the first place. And if you've fallen and you've, you've lost your way at some point and you've backslidden and it seems like all your walls are broken down... We have the example given to us in the Word of God that you can go back there and rebuild and rebuild. That's a wonderful grace of our God. He never just pulls out the, the welcome rug from you and say, you had your chance. <laughs> and I'm glad about that. He gives you all an opportunity. Amen. And so I just encourage you to take seriously as we go through this particular series. The Bible says in Proverbs 133, but whoso hearkeneth unto me 
shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. So where is this? What are these walls? What is this wall that's going to protect you? It's going to be the word of God. If you will hearken unto me, he says, I will protect you and you won't have to fear evil. You know, you won't have to spend your day. I wonder, oh, I don't know what the devil's going to do to mess up my life. He says, if you will abide under the shadow of my wings, if you will stay in the high tower of my strength, I will be your salvation. I will be your shield. Amen. That's what the psalmist was talking about. He was saying, your words are protection to my life. Amen. And those are the walls that we're lifting up around us. It's got to be based on the word of God, on the scriptures. And so we got to make much of the word of God. we got to go to the principles of the Bible. And you know, when, when we're faced with a decision, the first thing we got to do is say, am I violating some principle? Am I pulling myself out of the wing, the shadow of the wings? Just a little bit. Is the devil taunting me, just coaxing me out just a little bit, even so much that even the world wouldn't even notice that I'm compromising. Or maybe Christians wouldn't even notice that I'm compromising. But you know in your heart that you're giving in just a little bit, just pulling out from underneath the shadow. Can I tell you something? As much as you're exposing from out of the wing of God is as much as the devil can take advantage of your life. That's why we build the walls. Amen. Nehemiah was a, was a great man, fabulous governor. I'd love for him to be prime minister of Canada. He would do a great job for us. He stuck with it, you know. I mean, he built the, the walls and the gates within 54 days, I believe it is. It didn't take him long to do it, but he was there for 12 years. He was there rebuilding the city. He was repaving the roads. He was taking care of the buildings and getting it all back up to, to strength again. You know, so there was lots of work that needed to be done inside the walls, but he spent a lot of time. Let's first, guys, let's protect ourselves. And they would. There was one time where, where they had threats of people coming in and actually, while people were working, they were going to come in and, and, and start a war. And so they were concerned that they were going to be so busy building that they wouldn't have the people in place to fight. So Nehemiah made this decree. He says, okay, I want you to go. And I want you to have one hand on the trowel and one hand on the sword. That's why Charles Spurgeon, he, he created a, a newsletter that he had in the 1800s called The Trowel and the Sword. Building and battling. <laughs> Many churches over the years have had that theme, building and battling. The trowel and the sword. Amen. So never do you stop protecting yourself. Never do you stop carrying the sword of the word of God. And never do you stop building always repairing, always building up the buildings, always making everything work again, uh, making it functional, amen? That was Nehemiah's answer to the enemy. So it required walls to keep the enemy out. It required purging out of those cities that were hurting it from within, the people that were within. So they would have things within the city already because there was even one fellow by the name of Tobiah. He had taken up the priesthood. Now, the problem is he didn't qualify. He wasn't a true Levite. And yet he was appointed as a priest. And this is one of the, the black marks upon the 10 tribes of Israel because they didn't want to go back and worship at Jerusalem anymore because that was a part of Judah and Benjamin. So they were scared. The king, Jeroboam, was scared he was going to lose his people if they'd go back to, Jerobo to Jerusalem. So he started building uh, a, a, their own temple. 
he started appointing his own priests. See, that's what happens. And they weren't qualified. And so Sanballat, they say Sanballat, who was the father-in-law, I believe, of Tobias, uh, he was the, uh, the one that actually started building that temple, the one that uh, the lady uh, in John chapter 4 said that we worship on yonder mountain. And yet he, he had a, himself dug into Jerusalem. He had himself in a power position in Jerusalem, taking control of the temple, taking control to this point where he took Tobiah and he set up a place for him to live within the temple walls. And when Nehemiah found that this was no priest and he was just a counterfeit, he went into the temple and he took all of Tobiah's stuff. He cleaned it out and threw it into the street. He just cleaned house, man. I love it. I love it. And many of us have Tobias in our house, in our temple, right here. We've got to have that same tenacity as, as, as Nehemiah to go into that temple and start taking the stuff out and throw it into the street. Boy, he caused a ruckus, that Nehemiah. What a great governor, amen. What a great leader. What a great type for us of how Christ wants us to live our life, Amen. Now, I know I don't have time to get in the sheep gate. <laughs> it's quite an introduction and the testimonies and the, uh, and the singing. But folks, I just want you to prepare yourself. Let's seriously think about this in our life. Let's, let's be a new city of Jerusalem. See, that's how peace was kept, the city of peace. You know, it came to the point, it's going to come to the point in the future where God looks down at Jerusalem. He's going to say, there's Jerusalem he says, but spiritually speaking, Sodom and Egypt. He would call his city the city of Sodom. It's because they allowed the garbage back in. The Antichrist set up his image in the temple. Once again, they did not keep it clean. They compromised to the place where he says, that's Sodom to me. <laughs> so God's people, you can be born again, but he can look in your heart sometimes. That looks a lot like Sodom to me. That's why we build up the walls. That's why we have the gates. Amen. So I hope you're going to be faithful to this series as we go through it on Sunday nights. And starting, we're going to start next week, I guess, <laughs> with the sheep gate. That first gate, that very important gate. I'll tell you this about the sheep gate. The first verse talks about the sheep gate, and I'll read it to you. It says, Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it. And set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it, and unto the tower of Haniel. And it's interesting because, you know what? It's also the last gate mentioned in, the, in chapter 3. And between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmith and the merchants. So what he did is he, he went on a round circular repair. The sheep gate, all the way around the ten gates, all the way back to the sheep gate. <laughs> but it tells us, we always come back to the sheep gate. The sheep gate is what pictures the death of Christ. And not only that, death to yourself. We, we bear our cross for him. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Not a very deep 
lesson tonight, but I just want to give that to you, a little introduction, so that we can make a decision about how we're going to handle this rebuilding of our lives. We all have some repair that needs to be done. We can always put extra strength on those doors. We can inspect them, make sure that we've got strong walls. This world, it's full of wolves. Oh, Paul just wept. And he said, grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. We need to have walls around our church. We need to have walls around our family if we want to have peace in our lives. If you don't have peace, can I tell you it's probably because some walls have come down. And maybe you just need to make a decision, Lord, I'm going to find out where that breach in the wall is. And I'm going to repair it.